Hey, hi everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur with another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million, and more importantly, create your own personal legacy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Eight Figures. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on whatever app you're listening to. It really helps other people find us and we get to learn from how we can improve to make the show better for you. So thank you so much for listening. Today, we're going to be talking with Justin Cochrane, the CEO of Carbon Streaming Company. And I'm really, really interested in this episode because we've been having a lot of social entrepreneurs come on the show and talk about how they use the entrepreneurial model to kind of go after solving these various issues that they find important. Well, Carbon Streaming Corporation is really interesting in that they go around the world and they fund carbon offset projects and then turn around and sell the carbon offsets from these projects to large corporations. But what they do is they're using the public markets. They're publicly listed in Canada. And they go about using the financial markets to fund this opportunity. I find it fascinating because this is a different type of value generation than I normally think of from an entrepreneurial. They're using the financial markets not from purely a financial modeling opportunity, i.e. getting more money out of the process, but by actually helping our reduce some carbon outputs and reducing a lot of the damage that some large companies are doing out there. So let's kind of jump into this with Justin and learn a little bit more about using the financial markets. Hello, Justin. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me, AJ. Now, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I was just telling the audience a little bit about you, but I really want to kind of explore deeper into what you're doing and how entrepreneurs can look at this. But you know, first, let's talk a little bit about you. Where do you see yourself as an entrepreneur these days? Great question. I mean, I've, I've in the last uh, seven, seven or eight years now have created a couple of businesses focused really on building out investment businesses, in, investing in projects that are helping to fight climate change. And, you know, and I've been, you know, the CEO of, of these two businesses and really trying to build a team you know, around me to support me in, in achieving these goals. And so it's very much changed from raising capital and starting out the business to now one where it's much more of a leadership role in guiding, you know, the rest of the team and achieving what we're, you know, achieving our growth objectives, you know, which has been a challenge and it's, it's a different role. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. Maybe because that is kind of that fun transition. It's like from maker to manager grower, talking about leading and growing your team more. Like, what are the things that you're seeing that changes from compared to like earlier on? Oh gosh, that's a that's a good question. I mean, I I, I would say for us, and we we are a public company that publicly listed in Canada and looking to list in the U.S. here in the next you know couple of months, hopefully. Knock on wood, subject to regulatory review and a crazy market uh, at the at the same time. 
But for me, it's really that that management of shareholders and you know and the regulatory process and, and navigating through the regulatory process, and at the same time trying to still be focused on on growth and investing capital and and doing what we set out to do, which is you know invest in climate projects around the world. So frankly, it's trying not to get distracted by you know some of the little things that don't matter as much in the long term in the, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, but are still vital to the functioning of a public company. And that's sort of the, the role we as CEOs, are, I guess, are always having to manage. But it's not an easy, frankly, I haven't found it an easy one to manage because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a very hands-on person and it just means I'm working longer hours <laughs> than I probably desire. But yeah, I know that. I mean, it's like, there's a bit where the extra hours help. And then there's a point of no return as someone who has done that, you know, crazy, oh, who needs, yeah, I can do four hours of sleep, no problem. And then somehow six months later, <laughs> lots of other things. Complexity always gets you. <laughs> exactly right. Which is why build it. Yeah. Which is why building that team is vital, which I, I spent a lot of time in the last 12 months just adding bodies and because you get to you get to one point where you you actually realize this business is going to be successful after all of the initial long hours and effort you put in this business we've now created a sustainable business but in order to actually achieve our objectives i need to add people right and build in expertise and you know just hire some amazing people i've been very very fortunate that we've been able to do that so and that that that's a really fun time in the business as we go from it was me and one other individual that was running the business for a year and a half we now have 14 full-time people and they're hiring for another few positions that's you know a really fun fun time busy but very fun time and, and nice to see the, the fruits of the early labor i guess no, that is a fun time. It's a really bad movie, but I always remember there's a Mel Gibson movie, Kidnap, something like that. His and it starts sort of with I guess he he's the CEO of a company that's going public, and they have like some video. Well, it's a little old, so maybe it was a movie. Who knows? Um, of like the early days, and they're like chasing chickens. And I remember, yeah, like just referencing like, you know, the, something stupid would happen or like the garbage is overflowing or whatever. And it's like, oh, this is chasing the chickens. <laughs> you know, it's a bittersweet memory, but you're like, thank God. Yeah. Thank God it's yeah, to the next level. Well, given this is, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, this transition is always a little fraught becomes we very much become start because we're able to move things and convince people to kind of transition to this idea of instead of it being you directly utilizing your force of will on you know the direct stakeholders or play or movement whatever you now have a team and you're building your team so they can extend your mission what do you think has helped the most in that sort of transition for you yeah, you know, now that you're becoming more of a leader of the overall company. Gosh, I think the the biggest thing for me is having hired some amazing, amazing people that I can really, really rely on. And one of the biggest challenges that I've had in my this is, you know, in my entire career is letting go, right? Is is relying on other people to do the same sort of level of work or have the same 
level of dedication that you have and believing that they can have the same quality of output that you might have. And I'm a financial guy, right? So my quality of output is, you know, is presentations, is ideas, is pitches, is, is, is negotiating and structuring deals. When we went into this growth phase here at Carbon Streaming, I would say that was the largest challenge was finding those people. But having now found those people, I find myself letting go and it has made that transition so, so much easier. And again, I would say in the, in the 14 people we have, have in our staff, like I can't think of better people in each individual role than the people I have in those roles. So it's just been an amazing, so having the right people and, and part of having the right people is and finding and being able to find those right people is having the right advisors and people around you who can build that network and provide recommendations. And, you know, I've been fortunate that I've been in this sort of finance, you know, banking industry now for over 20 years, and I've, I've really developed this network. And that's, you know, putting that network to work and, and having amazing people around you just made all the difference, both, you know, as employees, but also shareholders and business partners and financial advisors and lawyers and just those, you know, being surrounded by people that I really trust is, has enabled me to build that team. And it's made a you know massive difference, I believe. Getting the right people is definitely, but it's that kind of transition from like not having them to understanding who they should be and then finding the right people who then kind of make it a little more magical, you know, from that one and that kind of points along the like degree of difficulty. It sounds like you had some good advisors, but also you kind of leaned into it a little nicely. And they need to be able to, you know, see the vision too, right? And believe in the vision. And that's, you know, we are as a carbon streaming company, as I was mentioning, investing in these projects around the world that help fight climate change. So it's an easy thing to get passionate about as the other side too. And so these people love what they're doing. And they seem to, and it's a new industry. Carbon as an investment vehicle is a new industry. So everybody's learning at the same time, but they also see the vision. And that's, that's been fun. You were mentioning this has been important to you for a while. This is something that you know, you've been working on and kind of coming further and further. What I would like to know is how, yeah, you mentioned about convincing the team of the vision, we're convincing these people of the importance of what you're doing in this vision. Yes, it is a broad. You are looking at probably one of the one of the biggest if top two right now in the world of what do we do with our future? You know, and so that helps a lot. But at the same time, how do you think your ability to particularly a vision, a mission for your company has changed from the early days to now, especially as you're getting bigger and you are engaging a larger audience? I think it goes to as we add people, and I think of it as as I add a person, I'm I'm building capacity within the team. And as I build capacity within the team, it expands what we're capable of. And that includes, you know, finding projects around the world, um, reaching out to new partners that we that I had never met before. I was on the phone this morning on a on a partnership with a massive a fund in Asia where we might look to partner together. That I I would not be able to have that reach without building that capacity, without you know building those bodies. As as we've grown, the mission has changed because 
I can see what we're we're capable of now versus you know frankly what I thought we would be doing in the early days, which was just supporting you know a couple of projects and seeing if I could drum up investor interest in what we were trying to do. Now that we've had that success and we've listed publicly and we seem to have very, very good brand recognition across the carbon industry, it really, you know, again, sort of expands the mission. I would say it's, you know, going from a narrower to a larger mission where to, where now I want to be, you know, the largest investor in voluntary carbon projects in the world. And I can actually see us achieving that where, you know, even two and a half years ago, that would have been a, a pipe dream of mine. So it's been, you're very right. The mission evolves as the capability of the team evolves. And I think that's probably true of many businesses. Yeah. I always find it a little bit of the chicken and egg because without a doubt, better team allows, you know, deeper introspection to what's capable and sort of the integration of what you're doing to how people think about things in the space so you can fine tune that. It's also that same thing of your story has to grow. The vision has to kind of grow even to bring the people in, you know, from early days. And that, you know, it's like, that's what I find so fascinating about what you're doing. I very quickly told the audience a little bit about what you're doing and from the streaming. Could you maybe, because... When we were chatting ahead of time, you're doing a lot sexier than I think I have really fully understood. I kind of took it, I think, as you said originally, oh, we're going to, we're investing in these things. Can you maybe tell a little bit about how you see yourself being the biggest investor in these voluntary carbon projects and what that really means? Because that's pretty big. Yeah. I mean, so, so when we look at, at the voluntary carbon world, the, 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 the entire industry today, what it is, is different types of projects really spread around the world. So it's forest conservation projects. It might be reforestation projects, carbon capture projects, renewable energy projects in developing countries, you know, agriculture projects, biochar. So there's these really amazing and fascinating projects. But the one thing they all have in common is they need capital and they need money. And they've been struggling to raise money for the past decade. It's becoming easier now, but two and a half years ago, we saw the opportunity to create a public vehicle that would invest in these projects and become long-term partners alongside the people that were creating and developing these projects. And so we use this royalty and streaming business model, which we stole from the mining and energy space. And that's, that's my background. I was doing that for 15 years before this took that model, very, very successful model in mining and energy, and now are applying it to a new commodity in effect, which is carbon. And so as we raise capital from public and private investors, we are looking to invest in projects around the world and really build up our portfolio of investments diversified across all types of projects in all parts of the world. And through our, uh, through our agreements, we will fund the projects and then take delivery of carbon credits on the back end. And then we will go out and sell those carbon credits to corporate, individual, government buyers around the world. And so when I say we're looking to be the, the largest player, we want to be the largest investor and eventually reseller of credits around the world to the benefit of our project partners and the communities where they operate and 
ultimately, of course, the climate in helping to reduce global emissions. And again, like how that vision changed early days, we were just, you know, we were looking to see if we could even create a public company that investors would be interested in to invest in a couple of projects. Now, as we've grown the team, I've got eight full-time people working at sourcing, negotiating, diligencing opportunities around the world. Now I can see that we can actually become the largest uh, investor and supplier of credits in the voluntary markets. And in one sense, you're like a typical fund, you know, from, you know, like you are, you know, as a managed fund, you're going out and the tires starting to find your things happen. You'll achieve the outcomes that you are looking for, for your shareholders. After, you know, this, it's just, there is an environment, you know, the carbon, you know, the ability to do it. You're still looking at the overall profit, but through this vehicle. I mean, that's what's so, yeah, fascinating. One of the things I've, as I've been trying to learn more about investing and looking at different things, there's a lot of um, information, a lot of thought on index funds, indexing, and then some of the research that in the VC space, you know, sort of the tiger and, you know, the 500s where, very few people actually ever outpace the market in the ability to see you know, future returns. And it's the movement to sort of invest across as wide as a swarth in this. Now, I know criteria and legitimacy is probably a huge thing, but yeah, as moving to the largest investor, do you ever see going towards that index style where it's like, if you get X one bank, and I don't know if they're the right, you know, thing, but I've seen that in a gazillion bad novels. Do you ever see that kind of a wider, or is it still the focus, foreseeable focus of active projects choice? Yeah, for for us, what makes carbon a bit unique is you've got to be able to find the buyers that, you know, ultimately put the highest value on the carbon credit that you might be selling in every carbon credit, unlike, you know, a lot of commodities, you know, precious metals, base metals, unlike those other commodities, carbon has many of the carbon credits have these unique community uh, biodiversity aspects that are also attached to the credits, which different buyers place different value on. So there is an active, um, the, the active side of our business is very much the monetization of the carbon credits after de- after they're delivered to us, and we flow through that revenue back to our project partners. So it makes a, a major difference to our project partners as well. But then, of course, finding and diligencing the projects um, as well. So there's a very active kind of due diligence process to make sure we're picking the right projects, and also when we're going to monetize those credits to make sure we're finding the right buyers. And so. There are lots of efforts underway to try and truly commoditize carbon credits and maybe maybe split out the the biodiversity value from the the sustainability or community side from the actual carbon emission side. That's going to be challenging to do. And and I, I, I would welcome and very much do welcome those those efforts to try and create these indices, create more price transparency and liquidity in these markets. But it will take some time. And if we get there, again, I think it would be a tremendous outcome for the industry because it means there's there's probably more capital, more financing available. Uh, even traditional bank financing could be available once you create these indices. 
And for us as a business, I don't see us going there, but but certainly for the industry, that type of trend could be very positive. You'll focus on being that, you know, that active side, but I could see so much of the marketplace here. But you know, you were mentioning the size of the need in this space. And given, you know, you are growing, but you're from early stages here. Where do you think you will be going to kind of become that larger player here? What's going to have to happen for you, for the company, you know, for all that? This is this is a fascinating opportunity and it's something where it's like how you're thinking and approaching it, I think the audience would learn a lot from. You were mentioning before, you know, there are set up very much like a fund. And you're exactly right. We are very much like an investment fund as we're choosing investments to and quality investments, obviously, to make. The beautiful part about being a public company is that's in effect permanent capital. So I don't have the same, you know, requirements as a private equity fund in terms of, you know, an end of life five, seven, nine year time frame where I gotta go and, and monetize my investments. And so we build our investments and we're investing over the 20, 30, 40 year um time horizons and longer with our project partners. So the way we achieve our growth, and, and I think as I was mentioning, AJ, this is an industry, if you believe McKinsey research, this industry in terms of fighting climate change requires $9 trillion of annual investment, you know, almost 10% of global GDP. So it's a massive, massive undertaking that's required here. The way we continue to grow our business, and, and right now we have over $100 million US in cash on our balance sheet is continuing to find amazing projects to invest in. And as we invest in those projects, diversify our portfolio. As we diversify our portfolio, our cost of capital should come down. As the cost of capital comes down, that means we can find even you know, more economic projects, more accretive projects to invest in for, you know, for the benefit of our shareholders and put more capital to work. So the way we do that is Keep investing, raising capital, whether it's through partnerships or equity or debt, and uh, and just slowly, frankly, continue growing the business. We're looking to do you know maybe five to ten investments on an annual basis. So I think one a month or one every one every two months, and but picking the right projects to invest in. And at the same time, hopefully, we've got a carbon price that's going higher. And I think the beautiful part of the carbon as a commodity is carbon is being regulated all over the world. You know, 193 governments around the world, countries around the world have signed up to the Paris Agreement. Carbon is being regulated such that we're reducing emissions and carbon prices are going higher. And so we have this, you know, this commodity that's being regulated for a, for a higher price. And I think that'll be a, a very positive thing for us. As we hopefully move towards a flattening of, you know, the carbon emissions curve, that's going to be fascinating. What's the typical investment that you guys are doing now in a carbon capture project? Yeah. So we're, we're looking to, to invest, you know, for the most part, somewhere between five and $20 million. And we invest that capital up front to support the development of the project, to support the growth of the project or in some cases to even acquire a project from another developer. But our capital is used to, you know, primarily to, to, to grow and develop these projects around the world. And depending on scale, it's, it's mostly five to 20 million. As the carbon price goes up, I would see that range also increasing. 
And as we get into some of these larger carbon capture projects, projects that are actually pulling carbon out of the atmosphere using these giant fans is a fascinating project in Iceland that is doing this now. Those can, and Occidental announced, you know, their their efforts to do a direct air, what we call a direct air carbon capture project about a month ago. These have the potential to be, you know, billion dollar investments to actively remove carbon from the atmosphere. And I, you know, and while those aren't economic today, they they heavily rely on government incentives and, and you know, in some cases, almost charity. Um, as the carbon price goes up, those projects will become economic and, um, and we'll be able to write some bigger checks at the same time. In looking at something like that, it could be fascinating. If it can increase, then, you know, you literally could have a market to say, okay, don't drill, don't pump. You know, you can instead do, you know, sell off the rights by not looking at that future. That's exactly right. We're trying to make in the greatest example I can think of for what is the, you know, why carbon, why carbon credits, why put a value on carbon? When we think about these forest conservation projects or reforestation projects around the world, you're trying to put a price on trees, right? And trees have the, the double impact of not only, of course, being a store of carbon, but they're also, of course, absorbing carbon on an annual basis and, you know, creating oxygen. And so trees or peat swamps or mangroves have this, you know, double or triple effect, but it's trying to put a price of value on those trees that's greater than the alternative use of that land, right? So whether it's agriculture or cattle farming or raising the land for palm oil plantations, whatever the alternate use might be, is trying to, you know, put a value on those trees. And for and when you think about these concert forest conservation efforts around the world, they are in very remote locations where in many cases harvesting that trees, whether it's for, you know, cooking at your next meal or selling them to, you know, a local trader to build houses, you know, those trees have value and it's trying to ultimately create a, an alternative value that's higher in encouraging these communities to end deforestation. It is getting a lot of that value closer to the use because there's yeah, many people who may have spent winter in Southeast Asia, Indonesia, you know, forest, it is huge. Yeah, you literally can't breathe for a month and a half, if not. That's exactly right. And it's, think, think of how destructive that is. And, and our largest project, our largest investment to date is a, a project called Rimbaraya that was developed 10 years ago in Borneo, Indonesia. And not only is it protecting this 47,000 hectares from being turned into a palm oil plantation, it's also supporting a local orangutan habitat with release sites and providing you know, income and other sustainable employment opportunities and education for three communities along this amazing, amazing, pristine you know, peat swamp, low-lying peat swamp in Borneo. And, and it's, it, we need more projects like that. That's one of our, uh, that's our largest investment to date in a project that I just adore. Cool. Uh, I, yeah, that is a huge thing. It is yeah, pushing it down into those, yeah. Because there's always money to be made, unfortunately, in different markets, but it's, you know, change really comes from when those are impacted directly will change their behavior. So, that, yeah, actually going about doing this, like I said, I am really fascinated, especially as you look to make it grow. You were just talking about the growth of the fund, the company, 
of the industry. But what's success for you as an entrepreneur going to look like? And how is that going to be different? Obviously, it's like, yes, we're going to do good. We're going to just you know, create this marketplace. We're going to expand yeah. this and we'll do well in that process. But what does it mean to you in trying to achieve this? Or what successful will be for you? What I would say for me is, you know, having created this, this public company, this public investment vehicle and added, you know, added bodies and, and built up the team and built up the, the capacity, as I was saying before, for me, success will be the sustainability of this business in the long run, right? And the sustainability of this business without me at the helm, frankly, right? It, it's knowing that we've put a business, a platform in place that can continue to invest in projects, find buyers for these carbon credits as they come, uh, as they are delivered to us. And ultimately, of course, as a public company, return capital to shareholders and make sure, you know, we're making money for our investors and stakeholders uh, as well. Um, and that's, of course, a, you know, a, a vital part of what we're doing. And the reason I love this business is we could do that and at the same time, invest in these amazing projects around the world. But for me, success will be in 20 years, in 30 years, can I look at this business with somebody else is running it? Um, and, you know, hopefully I'm still on the board, but somebody else is running it and it's still doing what we set out to do. And maybe, you know, of course, it may be doing different things that, that I, we can't even foresee today, but having created kind of a sustainable business that can exist beyond my primary involvement, I think would be success for me. I think it's an understatement that you're in a fascinating and incredibly important in space right now. And you know, your ability to bring financial lens and you know, pricing to this grow that, I think will be amazing, you know, and help so much. If the audience is interested in learning more, reaching out to you, where can they go? So best place to go is our website. So it's, it's uh, carbonstreaming.com. Um, and you can also find us through any investment portals. Canada, we're listed with the ticker N-E-T-Z, NETS for net zero, but best place would be our website. We've got all of our projects up there. We've got some fascinating blogs and work that we've done on carbon credits to sort of educate your, yourself on, on carbon credits and would encourage you to get sort of involved and, and follow our updates uh, through the website. Thank you, Justin. We'll make sure we have everything in the show notes, put it in our socials, but yeah, I mean, it is fascinating. And I was going down a bit of a rabbit hole earlier and trying to just familiarize Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks very much for having me. Hey, you really enjoyed the discussion. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.